Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers. Hi, welcome to the CDM Podcast. This is Paul Watson with my co-host, Rebecca Ewing. And today we have a very special guest on with us. His name is David Parrish. David is the president of WME, World Missions and Evangelism, and is a his organization has played a significant role in launching what we would call a disciple-making movement in Honduras, one that has affected multiple states within Honduras, multiple people groups within Honduras, and one that is now spreading out throughout the surrounding country. And I've had the privilege of knowing David for a long time now. I can't, it's well over 10 years, maybe 15. And so he and I have worked together from time to time as uh, things were getting started there, but uh, he is now leading a group of missionaries all over the world to apply these different uh, disciple-making methodologies within their contacts. In fact, before we got on the call, he was telling me that this is a special week for them and that they're bringing everyone in to kind of do a fundraising banquet to tell all the stories of what the Lord has done and then to have their strategy meetings so that they can all go back out to their mission fields and everything. David, so thank you so much for being on the show. We're really glad to have you. It's great to be here, Paul. I've looked forward to it. Yeah, so what we're, what you're going to hear on this particular podcast is yeah, David's going to tell us what's going on, the exciting things that's going on around the world and right now in his organization and, and what the Lord is doing through them. And then we're going to be able to hear a story about how this all began in Honduras and also some lessons that he learned along the way when it came to seeing a movement happen there in Honduras and then growing to what they have right now. So David, Tell us the exciting things that are happening now through your organization and, um, you know, how you guys go about it. Well, uh, our organization uh, is, a, is a small mission sending agency, relatively speaking. Uh, we don't have a, a ton of missionaries. We're a sending agency for about 20 or 25 missionaries globally. And uh, so we have missionaries that are serving in a, in a variety of places globally. Uh, but our primary focus is disciple-making movements. And within that, our primary focus is, uh, uh, well, it has been Latin America, and we're kind of expanding that to, say, the whole Western Hemisphere. And so we've been involved for now, uh, like Paul said, I've, I've known him for about 13 years or so. And... Uh, for the last 11 years, we've been working to catalyze disciple-making movements in Latin America, specifically and originally in Honduras, but now touching some other countries and, and other other areas. So mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're, we're seeing a movement that has resulted in many thousands of discovery groups being uh, multiplied mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, churches being formed. And uh, it's, it's many generations deep. I think right at this very moment, my, with my latest report that we just got, uh, just actually a few days ago, uh, I think that at the deepest part of the movement, we're looking at 25 generations deep now. Wow. So uh, that's great. That's, uh, that's what's happening. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, so, so you mentioned some other places in which this has spread to. Just name a few of those. What? Who else other than Honduras? So, so the, the movement itself in Honduras, the majority of the movement is there, although there's spillover 
into Nicaragua and spill over into uh, Guatemala. And, uh, and then we have missionary, we have another missionary team uh, that lives in central Mexico that are, uh, that's not a spillover. There's kind of a new work right. being started in Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, we also took our, our Honduran team has made two different ones have made two trips to Argentina. They've done training in Argentina. Out of that, uh, there's one uh, significant multiplication. I'm not sure that we know whether it's at movement level. We know that there's over 300 groups, mm -hmm. but we don't know exactly how. I, I don't have all the generational data, but we're moving toward movement in a particular people group in, in Argentina, and we're, and we're interacting with people in other places. We're doing some trainings in the Caribbean. Uh, we've done training in Barbados, uh, uh, Jamaica, and some other places. So we're focusing on Western Hemisphere right now. Okay. Excellent. Awesome. So just wondering, Dave, do you have a favorite story or favorite um, story of something that's happening right now in your organization or amongst your missionaries when it comes to uh, disciple making and, and the, all this movement? Well, I think my two favorite stories currently uh, are uh, j just a couple of uh, stories showing that there's uh, because uh, let me let me go back to say this. W you know, a, a lot of times Jerry Trousdale wrote a book called Miraculous Movements, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of emphasis on miracles. And I know that especially in the Muslim world, in the Hindu world, there was a lot of miracles. Well, we're not working in that world. We're working in a a Christianized world, mm -hmm. and so. Mm -hmm. We've been wondering what the nature of miracle would be. And, and I want to say that I think that, that God, does, God is a God of miracles. He is. He, he does signs and wonders. And I think he does it for two reasons. I think he does it to demonstrate that he is God. Mm -hmm. But he also does it just because he loves people. I mean, I think mm -hmm. he heals people because he has compassion for their need. It's not just, yes. hey, I'm going to heal you and now you believe in me. I think, I think both of those. I think both of those things are the reason miracles happen. So absolutely. in our context, we're not having the situation as much, uh, except in one particular uh, area where we're having to prove that the God of the Bible is the true God, because we're mm -hmm. dealing with a culture that is, uh, officially, you know, 90% Christianized, mm -hmm. at least with Catholicism or something like that. Although the vast majority of the people are probably not practicing any form of of, of Christian right. in name only. Uh, it's in name only for the most part. But so we're not having the power encounters to prove that Jesus is God because people are going to admit that pretty soon. But we're, and so I think that may have caused us not to have as many of, uh, at least I would say we haven't been giving out that many testimonies, but recently we've been hearing more and more testimonies of healing. My favorite one is this woman named Petalina. Uh, who was in uh, the Choloteca state, uh, way in the south of Honduras, had a severe heart condition. Uh, we, one of our uh, disciple makers started a Discovery Bible study in her house. They gathered about 10 people. They did the Discovery Bible study for several months. They were coming toward the end of discovering God. They were coming toward that place where they come back to John chapter three. You know, what are, what are you going to mm -hmm. do with this? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, everybody in the group, everybody except for Fedelina's husband, all 10 of them received Christ. They all made commitments to Christ. And not only that, they were all like, and we want to be baptized right now. Ooh, and the only problem was, you know, they're way in a remote village down there somewhere. There, they, there was no church building or anything. There, about an hour and a half walk, there was a river. And so they all 
they said, well, let's walk to the river. We, let's go to the river and be baptized. Petalina said, I can't make it. I don't believe I would live. I don't know, you know, the heat and everything and walking. And she said, mm. I think I'll die if I try to go there. And our, our, our church planner, uh, he's, a, he's a man of great faith. He said to her, I hope under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he said to her, <laughs> if you walk to the river and get baptized, God will heal your heart. And so they left the next morning and walked to the river. And when she stepped in the water, mm. God healed her heart right then. Wow. I mean, the, everything changed. She was baptized. The noticeable difference, everybody was baptized. The only person that hadn't received Christ was her husband. And he was standing there. He watched her be baptized. He watched her come out of the water healed. He received Christ right then and walked in the water to be baptized. Oh, praise God. I, I love that story just because it shows both the compassion of God and that demonstration of the true power of God. Mm. We're in one of the tribes. One of the things that we're trying to do in, in, in Latin America is to encourage our church planners to focus on any people, uh, places and people groups that are less reached. You know, Latin America, there's a lot of Christianity and even evangelical movement is large in, in Latin America, but still it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the, to the need. There are over 500 million non-evangelicals mm. in Latin America, and there's 362 unreached people groups in Latin America. And I'm talking about indigenous groups, what we would mm. call natives or Indians, and uh, that, are, that are still at UPG. And, and 212 of them are still unengaged, mm. Now, that's a small amount if you compare that to the 1040 window, but it still is there. And so I've told our people, and we've tried to encourage our guys, we want to we want to make disciples of the general population, but let's also, let's not overlook the UPGs. And so there's, there's just one UPG in Honduras, and we have groups there with them already. But in a, but in a closely related people group that is not listed as a UPG, but is, I really don't know why they're not, because they won't accept any outside uh, uh, help. Uh, they won't do, a, uh, you know, modern medicine or anything. And, uh, really there's just nothing among them. We, we got our church planners among them and they begin to do discovery Bible studies. They begin to pray for the sick. There was a particular sickness that is really indigenous to that particular group. Okay. And that many of them were suffering from, they begin to pray for healing so many people have been healed in that tribe that the witch doctors are being saved now. And Ooh. so uh, it is, there's the beginning of, a, of what is going to be a movement in that one tribe through that, that miraculous movement. And so that's kind of a, that's a unique thing kind of in mm -hmm. Latin America for us right now. But, um, but I think those, those two stories. And I think, of course, the, the, the fact of the matter is that, that we're seeing, uh, uh, 40 miracles every day because that's how many people are professing Christ. We're, we're seeing 38 water baptisms per day right now. Wow. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and so I think at this point, somewhere around 51,000 people have come to faith in Christ mm. in the movement. I think there's somewhere around 66,000 people that are involved in the groups right now, mm. but around 51,000 people, have come to Christ in uh, in the in this movement, and over forty three thousand of them have been baptized, and so uh, this is a this is a major breakthrough that's happening. It's primarily in the rural areas, 
of, uh, of Honduras, uh, touching five tribes and as well as just the general population. So uh, that's, that's what's happening. That sounds like a miraculous movement to me, David. You know, no matter how many healings you've got, you're absolutely right. It's just the amount, seeing people come to know Jesus and being baptized and things like that, that is, that is so remarkable. You know, so this is a great place to where God is, has been working and bringing you and your team and growing your team. Um, you said that you had around 20 to 25 different missionaries that are going out at this point and, and things like that. So let's, let's talk about the beginning. Yeah. Where, oh, where this way all began. back. Way back, way back, time machine, back to the beginning of how this was. And just tell us about how it began and how you got into what the, the methods and how you have it now. So, well, our story goes like this. Uh, we started WME. I was, a, I was on staff at a church in Western Kentucky. And uh, then I became the senior pastor of that church. And uh, so I was pastoring. And during those years that I was on staff and, and pastoring that church, uh, it was a non-denominational church. We were part of a fellowship of churches, but our fellowship of churches did not have a strong mission program. There were some missionaries that were a part of the fellowship, but there wasn't a strong mission program. There was no strategy in those early days. Mm. And uh, so we felt led of the Lord to start this organization, to be a, a, a mission sending agency for some non-denominational missionaries that we were in contact with. And so we started this and, 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 Basically, all we did was just help facilitate what they were already doing for a while. But uh, during the 1990s, I, I started reading a lot of, even though I was, I was pastoring, I was, my heart was in missions. And so I was reading a lot of missions books, and, and I began to, to read books that were telling me that, that church planting was the most effective way to advance the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I got a hold of a little booklet by David Garrison called Church Planting Movements. <laughs> and when I read this book, I was like this little booklet. It was just a short booklet. And then later he published a larger book with the same name. When I read the little booklet, I was like, oh, wow, this is it. I was, I was just being amazed by the stories in there. Mm -hmm. And I and, uh, had no connection to th these folks at all. I, I know that was an IMB thing, you know, and, and we weren't part of the Southern Baptist, so had no connection. But I read the book. And I was like, this is what we're after. Well, we had a missionary in, uh, in India that was a church planner that we were connected with. And, uh, and we dialogued with him and he had a, a, a plan and, and, uh, and it was a church planting plan and it was training church planners. And we locked in on that. We partnered with him. We learned it from him and we helped spread it to some other countries. And between the year 2000 and the year 2008, we saw 212 churches planted mm. using that methodology. But there was no movement. There was no multiplication. And 2004 uh, uh, or five, I got a hold of Garrison's larger book called Church Planning Movements. Mm -hmm. And I read that book and I was like, we're just not, we're doing, we're training church planners and we're seeing some churches planted, but there's no movement. There's nothing multiplication. There's not multiplication here. What are we missing? Didn't know what it was. One day I was praying. And as I was praying, I got very violent in my prayer. And I said, I just Throwing was, stuff. Oh, oh, I, you wouldn't believe it. I was in my house alone. My wife and daughter were gone somewhere. And I was just so frustrated, both in my mm -hmm. local church here and in 
the, the missions that we weren't, I, I was like, what am I missing? And I just, and as I was praying, I felt like God spoke something to me. Mm-hmm. He said, wait for the open door. Now, okay. now I, let me go back. He had spoken this to me for months. I had been praying this for months. And every time I would pray, God, what is it? What are we supposed to do? I would hear the Lord say, wait for the open door. So this had actually mm-hmm. happened for months. On this particular day, June the 6th, 2005, wow. it just exploded out of me. When I prayed, I said, Lord, what is it? What are we supposed to be doing? I heard these words, wait for the open door. And I screamed, no, I'm not waiting anymore. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, door, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to the door that Jesus was talking to me about. In the name of Jesus, door, open now. Wow. When I said that, the Spirit of God said, go downstairs, turn on your computer, and find the perspectives class. I left my prayer room. I went downstairs. I turned on my computer. I typed in perspectives.org. And the next thing I found out was that there was a class starting in Nashville two hours from me the next week. And it was a two-week intensive. I didn't have to wait 15 weeks. I could take the whole thing in two weeks. I called him. I signed up for it. I didn't know what God was telling me to do other than take that class. Mm-hmm. On the fourth day, the teacher was Jerry Trousdale. And Jerry started talking to us about this movement that had happened in India and about this guy named David Watson and about this thing that was starting in Africa, in Sierra Leone. And I remember when I got home that night, I told my wife, I said, I met a man today that knows what he's talking about. (laughs) And I moved real slow for the next year. I just kind of got to know, I took perspectives. I got to know Jerry. I got to know some of the people he knew. And the next year he said, there's somebody you need to meet. You need to meet this guy, David Watson. And he's doing a training in Dallas, Texas. And so in September of 2006, I went for this week long training and the trainer was, was, was David Watson and Paul was there. And I think this was one of their first trainings that they did in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah. And I tried to get one of my other missionaries to come with me. Something wouldn't come up. I had one missionary that was willing to come with me. His name was (laughs) Randy Travis. He's not the country singer. Uh, (laughs) He doesn't look anything or sing anything like that. But uh, Randy was a 25-year veteran missionary from Honduras, and he had planted 25 churches in 25 years. He was averaging one church a year. So I found myself sitting next to Randy Travis, who's a WME missionary, in this room for a week. And the first three days were horrible because the first three days, David Watson tore down everything that we believed about church planting, everything we believed about disciple making. He destroyed it. He just shredded it. And basically, he told us everything we had done our whole lives was wrong. Oh, man. But we were listening to him because this guy has seen this movement begin. And so, but but uh, Randy sat next to me, and Paul will remember this. Randy kept interrupting the class, oh raising his hand. He kept saying, hey, I've been a missionary for 25 years, and I've seen this. And, and every night, we'd be in the hotel room, and Randy would say, now, some of that may work, but that won't work in Honduras. Something happened on the night of the third day. I don't know what it was, but after three days, on the fourth day, Randy said to me, I don't know, maybe this might work. And on the fifth day, he said, 
I want to start from scratch. I want to go back, start in a new uh-huh. era. And, and, and we started the next three years. Now, this is kind of our story. Well, well I, you know, go, hang, go hang, on, hang on, David. You know, I just want to say this is so significant because yeah. it's not like you guys, you know, only saw like two people come to know Jesus over so many years. You know, your friend Randy saw 25 churches uh, planted over 25 years, which in America, we would be like, wow, that's amazing. And then mm-hmm. for you, you saw, what was it, 200 or so? 212 churches with, 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 that was with the international partners we were working with. Yeah. yeah, so 212 churches planted. And I just love the fact that, you, that your heartbeat, David, was that's not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that we want to be able to see God move more. We want more people to come see that. And so this is, this is really unique because you're not, you weren't, and many people would think as failures, you know, you, you were right. successful in a lot of people's eyes and to sit there and, you know, to take this in, that's so significant. Well, and not to gloss over the wrestling either, because I remember being there. I remember we're talking with you over the lunches and everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was our first training and I was, I was involved in that. And it was, you know, I remember Randy just arguing and arguing yeah. him standing up and shaking his finger. And I remember all of that. And I remember thinking, man, those guys are great people, but they're never going to do this. I, I really honestly, not, not that you couldn't do it, but just that you wouldn't do it just because Randy was, Randy was so vehemently opposed. And then that last day when he stood up and he's like, I think I'm going to do this. I was kind of like, Oh sure, he's gonna go back and try a couple of things, but he probably it won't work and everything else, and and we won't hear from him. And probably it probably did. that's when the jet lag wore, wore off or something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean there was just it was really it was really interesting. I was like, man, I love those guys, but yeah, I just I just don't think that that it's gonna go anywhere. And so and then now go ahead and start the rest of the story. You guys left that training, and then what happened? So we left that training and Randy is a real student. So he started studying this stuff and going online. And I know he was shooting you emails and Mm -hmm. David emails and other people. He was researching online. Uh, I immediately the next week went to Sierra Leone with Jerry Trousdale. And I I spent a week with the church planners uh, in, in Sierra Leone and getting these guys pouring into us every night. And mm-hmm. I was learning things from them and I came back, they kept learning. Meanwhile, Keith, uh, Keith Travis is Randy's son. And Keith was, he grew up on the mission field. He was a missionary himself. Of course, he was already left home. He lived in South Mexico. He was an evangelist in South Mexico. His wife is from Mexico. And they were living in, in, in uh, the Chiapas region of, of South Mexico ministry. One day at that very same time, and Paul, I don't know if you even know this story. Mm-hmm. At that very same time, Keith knew nothing about this. He knew nothing what, what Randy and I were studying. Keith uh, uh, did not want to go back to Honduras. He had been there mm-hmm. before. He had, grow up, he had grown up there, and he was enjoying living in Mexico. And he, he went out on a time of fasting and praying by himself. He went away for three days, I think, praying with a friend. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm sending you back to Honduras to plant churches with your father. Mm. And he thought, what is my wife Juanita going to say about that? I mean, because she was from Chiapas. Her family was right there. Mm-hmm. He came home after three days, walked in the front door. He said Juanita was just weeping and weeping and weeping. He said, what's wrong? Has somebody died? She said, no, but God told me we're going to Honduras to plant churches with your father. And- God, this same word 
to both of them simultaneously. So then Keith calls up his dad and says, Dad, I think God's telling me to go to Honduras. Uh, Randy said, yeah, we're relocating back to Honduras. (laughs) You're right, son. (laughs) God formed this team, and we spent the next three years, I I say three years, not quite three years, but from the end of 2000, uh, from 2006, actually two years, 2006 and 2007, uh, really studying this. They made trips to Honduras. Uh, they, they scouted out some areas. They, they did some research. They, they, then they moved to Honduras in 2007. Uh, we built a training base there. Uh, he went back to his original churches that he had planted and began to cast the vision to see if there would be anybody that would want to try something new in a new region of Honduras. And the result was that in by May of 2008, there were 13 men and some of their families that had relocated to a different location. They had moved from one part of Honduras to another part where we had developed a little training base. And Randy began to train these 13 guys to, to do DMM. And uh, mm-hmm. in the principles, everything that he had, we had been learning uh, from, from, uh, 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 from David and Paul and Jerry and all of them, everything we had learned, he, he created a kind of a training model. And, and we took these guys through this training and then we began to send them out two by two, uh, just like Luke 10, just like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the sending of the 70, uh, we sent them out two by two into these unreached areas of Honduras and in the, on the uh, Western side of Honduras. And they worked for about six months as hard as they could work. Uh, and, and, and they started about 25, what we, what we would today call discovery Bible studies. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. let me, let me just real quick interrupt there. Um, I, you know, I was listening to the, during that time, I was listening to the reports coming out of Honduras as either Dave or Randy would reach out. And just from an outsider's perspective, if you could start a movement through blood, sweat, and tears alone, (laughs) that Honduran team should have started a hundred movements. Those guys worked their tails off. I mean, Mm -hmm. harder than any group of people that I have ever met, period, Mm -hmm. hands down, except for maybe some of our teams in uh, working in Africa and some of those places, they, they worked hard. I mean, these guys were riding motorcycles up mountains into villages Mm -hmm. and we would get prayer requests from them saying hey pray for our guy his motorcycle fell off the side of the mountain with him on it and he ended up breaking his legs or breaking an arm i mean it was it was that's the kind of stuff extreme sports and and missionary put together (laughs) we're not so so i just i just don't want to gloss over that point that they were we say hard working and we're like oh they went out and had some coffees No, no no These guys were drilling wells. We got pictures of the wells they were drilling. They were going into villages and delivering vitamins. I mean, they were doing everything they could think of to engage these people. They were working incredibly hard. And I don't in any way want to want to discount the sacrifices they're making. Some of them, some of these men, their families couldn't come with them to be in the facility. And so they actually gave up a year of their lives mm-hmm. to come and to live in this facility to commit to this. So I think that right. we need to, to honor that kind of commitment and show that that's, that's the effort and the intensity, but it didn't get us there, did it? Right. No, so let's talk it, about that. So these guys were working hard and all those things happened that, that Paul's talking about. I mean, and they've been, 
you know, they were robbed by robbers. They motorcycle accident, everything happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first week, the first week, the first village they went into the first village, the first week, they found a village that would let them drill a well. Randy Travis went into that village and was bit by a rabid dog the first week. He had to take rabies shots. Oh, oh no. Two months, yes. The first week in the first village, the strategy coordinator was bit by a rabid dog the first day. Mm. Spiritual, warfare. spiritual warfare. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I am not sure, but I think they did cure him of rabies. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he, uh, I tell you what, he's, you know, sometimes when he's talking, he foams at the mouth a little bit. And as a Southern Baptist, <laughs> I just wrote it off of the fact that he was oh, Pentecostal. Oh, I but thought I mean, maybe you just done shaving or something. But, <laughs> but I'm telling you that, that it was, it was warfare. It was, mm. but we weren't seeing any multiplication. And during that fall, uh, one day uh, I had an opportunity to, I was with, Jerry, I think I was with Jerry Trousdale in Nashville at something. And uh, they said, next week, uh, Dave Watson is flying in. And, uh, and, and uh, John King was supposed to pick him up and take him to Murfreesboro, I think. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, can I, uh, they said, we need somebody. They were looking at people in Nashville. Can somebody pick up David Watson and hang out with him for about four hours? Because John's going to be delayed a little bit. I raised my hand. I said, I'll do it. I drove two hours to pick up David, took him to a restaurant so I could pick his brain for four hours. And while I was sitting there at a Ruby Tuesdays with, with, uh, with David Watson, asking him questions and telling him stuff, um, he said, would you like me to come down and train your team? And I said, absolutely. And he mentioned bringing Paul with him. And, and, uh, and, and I said, absolutely, we would love it. And so David and Paul came, and I went down there in uh, December of 2008. And at this point, these guys had, they had worked for six months. They had hit a brick wall. Nothing was multiplying. Nobody was getting saved uh, yet. And, uh, and so I told David, I said, I want you to train us like, he said, what do you want us to, you know, what, what do you need? And I said, start over with us. Act like nobody here has ever heard of, of, of this. And so that's what they did. And, mm -hmm. and David and Paul both taught for three days. And, of course, our team was already engaged in it. But what they discovered was there was a lot of principles. We were working hard, but we were, we were, there are some, there's these things called critical elements. There are, there are principles that have been discovered both from the Bible and from experience that are happening wherever there's movement. And there were some of these principles and practices and the way that we were doing tactics just weren't, weren't clicking. And so basically for, for three days, they deconstructed us again. Uh, I, I was like, David Watson was just always deconstructing me and Randy, you know, yep. and, uh, and, and Paul, I love Paul though, because Paul kind of comes in and pours in the oil and the wine, you know, <laughs> he would, would kind of bring some healing, you know, but, <laughs> that's but, actually, that's exactly how dad and I work. He comes in, cop, he would cop. sit there, he would come in, he'd bash you, bash you, bash. And I'd, I'd come alongside during the meals and go, Hey brother, you're going to be able to. This really it's, does it's sound okay. like a good cop, bad cop routine. <laughs> our personalities naturally fit into that. It's really That's kind of right. funny exactly. how that works. Hey, and by the way, you need both of those. I'm absolutely convinced that both of them. And, and so we came out of that and through that and the follow-up, not just those three days, but the follow-up, uh, because there was a lot of follow-up. And I know that Randy followed up with you, uh, uh, Paul, a lot during those days. And, and we, 
we went back the next year and R Randy uh, began to, uh, we began to try to change some things. We said, okay, we're going to do some things different. It wasn't just because I don't want to put a bad light on anybody that was on our team. These were all great guys, mm -hmm. but, but the process of transitioning to some new ways mm -hmm. and some other things resulted in within three months, instead of 13 leaders, we had three. Wow. And so we had three leaders. Wow. So bring, bring Paul and David in. They will destroy your team and make you feel bad and good about it at the same time. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Eventually, the team grew back to seven. So we went mm -hmm. from 13 to three to seven. The amount of faith that it took you guys to continue with only three after you've had 13 people on your team must have been an incredible amount of determination and faith to be able to continue that? Well, I don't want to, there was faith. I, the faith was somehow in the process of, from 2005 and six and seven and eight, in my spirit, I believed in this. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believed in it. The other thing that happened was this. I was the pastor of, 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 a, of a church here. Mm -hmm. and, and when we decided to go this way, I decided to resign from the pastorate. Mm. and to go full-time as the president of this organization and raise the budget and everything and throw myself here in logistics here for them. Uh, and I had resigned my church in right after David and Paul. I was in Honduras with David and Paul. I came home and had my last Sunday as a pastor. Mm. And I was in missions <laughs> the next week. I'm telling you the truth. In March, I'm talking to Randy on the phone. And Randy said, they're all gone, but three. He said, everybody's, you know, they're all gone. He said, we're down mm -hmm. to three. He says, I don't even know how we can keep up with the contacts we've made. Yeah. How we can follow with what we've already done with these three, but, but we're just going to focus on what we can do. And he said to me, do you still want to keep going? Mm. And I said, you better believe we, we quit going. I quit my job two months ago. We have to <laughs> keep going. I just mm -hmm. jumped out of the plane. This parachute is going to open. Uh, and so there was faith, but there was also, I mean, hey, I had already, I had just, I'd been on staff at that church for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I'm throwing everything into this. I'm getting out of the boat with these guys. And so we were there. And so there was part of it was faith and part of it was desperation and just, hey, it's too late to go back. Uh, right. Well, so, that, that and many people would call that burning the ships. So yeah. in other Cortez, words, like you burn that ship. Cortez, burn the ships. You're not going back. So right. yeah. Well, that again, just shows your faith in that. The, the other part I wanted to ask you, David, was you said that there were certain principles that you guys had not been following. And, you know, then once you did, that's what led to the 73 groups and everything like that. So what principles did you find were like the key points? I think the key point at that point, we kept, as time went on, we kept hitting roadblocks. So this wasn't the only time okay. we hit the wall and went back to principles. But on that particular occasion, the primary thing was that we were not doing discovery in the groups. Mm -hmm. uh, there were some reasons for that. And without going deeply into the reasons, it was a little bit hard to do discovery in those groups. The, the people in the culture there were not responding uh, as much. And so what was happening was our guys were being, were teaching Bible studies. Mm -hmm. So they were teaching uh, wow. and the people were not 
they were just kind of sitting and listening. They weren't participating. They weren't, it wasn't the form of a DBS the way we understand DBS now. Right. Actually, the first time I ever really understood DBS was there in December of 2008 when, when, uh, cause remember this is before any of the books were written. I mean, miraculous movements wasn't written. Contagious disciple making was none of these books were written. And, mm -hmm. and David and Paul outlined a DBS on our whiteboard. Right. The first time I understood how to do a DBS was that whiteboard in that training base there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so then the idea came, well, how do we make sure that we're, that, we're, that we're doing discovery, that we're doing inductive Bible study and not preaching at these people? Right, how, do we, right. how do we ensure that? That was the first principle. And then we had to adjust some tactics a little bit to go along with that. But uh, that, was, that was the particular thing that moved us to 73 groups yeah gotcha gotcha so that th thanks for for letting us know about that so 73 groups and then you said a revolution happened yeah it was actually they called it a coup um uh the uh because that's much better yes it was it wasn't well it fortunately it wasn't very it wasn't a very that particular time wasn't very bloody uh basically they just deposed the president they just came in they literally walked into mm. the president in the middle of the night, took him in his pajamas, put him on a plane, and left him on a tarmac in Costa Rica. Wow. Uh, and and, and Batman pajamas. And installed, <laughs> really happened, and installed uh, another guy's president. And I want, I don't want to go in the pot. We try to stay out of politics down there because uh, it doesn't matter whether I agree with either one of those sides or not. Uh, and what we found, by the way, is that we're, that people are getting saved and multiplied. It's, we do not deal with politics down there. We are, we are advancing the kingdom of God uh, because there's, we, we've got Christians on both sides of the, of the spectrum in, in Honduras. So, uh, but in that particular case, uh, Honduras went into an uproar for about nine months. I remember that. I, and I remember at one point in time that uh, it was a Keith and Randy and Linda and Juanita were kind of chased out of a village at one point they, in time. They actually they were actually leave. in San Pedro Sula uh -huh. and uh, the, 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 one of the main cities there. And yeah, a mob uh, chased them by the grace of God. They could have very easily been killed. And they were just uh, picked out as Americans, I guess. I don't know what the, what the, particular hostility was at that moment uh but they were yeah god got them out of there they they literally ran to the end of a of an alleyway and a taxi came by at that moment with this mob with clubs behind them they jumped in the taxi and sped away and uh they uh was the number on the taxi all sevens or something i don't <laughs> seven 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 that'd be awesome that may have been an angel dragging the taxi i, I, don't I believe mm -hmm. it but uh they at that point, actually, I uh, talked to them on the phone. As they were driving home that afternoon, I was on the phone with them. And I told them to get out of the country right then. And they did. They made their way out of the country. Uh, we, we had, the team had some, pro we had our three guys, okay. And uh, uh, two of them were sent back home to their home area. Mm. And one of them had just had a motorcycle wreck and was laid up and couldn't work at all. Oh my goodness. And so uh, he Why couldn't. you guys out? And so we were, we were paralyzed for a time there. Yeah. And during the, the next nine months, uh, we had a lot of ups and downs. Uh, the result was, because sometimes they would go back, when, when it was all over and the dust had cleared, they'd go back to a little village area uh, and there wasn't even anybody there anymore. 
I mean, not only was the group gone, there was nobody there. The landscape hadn't completely changed. And uh, in some of the village areas they were involved in. The first report, when they got back, the first report was there were 37 groups left. So we went, we switched the numbers. We went from 73 to 37. (laughs) Um, And uh, this is, uh, but let me say this, that during that time, Randy and Keith, kept going back into Honduras. They, they came out for a little while and then they went back in and they, they kept doing trainings. They began to train some other people. Some other people joined our team during that time. During those months where that was all, I mean, there were curfews. You couldn't get out of your house. They couldn't travel, all kinds mm-hmm, of stuff. Mm-hmm. But during that time, we still did some trainings. And one of the trainings uh, that happened during that time uh, we trained a, a fella that is now part of our team that is that that has multiplied more groups than anybody else. Rigoberto. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, and so that's when he first was trained initially, uh, and and he went out and began to work it. And so uh, we were. It was a discouraging time, and mm-hmm. yet uh, so in around February or March of 2010, we there were 37 groups. Uh, and, uh, you know, at this point we've been going for almost two years and, uh, and, and, and we were saying, you know, what, what, what are we missing? And we just kept going back. The, the thing for us was that because I knew Paul and David and Jerry and the people that they were working with, I would get invited to go out to California and set in with other, you know, we would go out to these meetings, uh, and there would be people there sitting that had, you know, you know, 5,000 churches, you know, mm-hmm. and we're sitting there with, you know, at that point, maybe 50 or 60 groups and none of them are even churches yet. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, they just treated us like we were one of them, you know, and we just were learning from them. We were, we were gleaning, we were being mentored. And uh, I mean, literally I would be sitting in a meeting and I would ask a question and somebody would get the give the answer, and I'd write it down. I'd run out in the hallway and call Randy in Honduras and say, "Here's the problem. Here's what you need to do," and uh, <laughs> literally would do that. And so, uh, our that that was the year that we discovered that we weren't emphasizing the mentoring relationship mm, the way okay. we should. And so we began to retool on mentoring, and and begin to say, how do we mentor and how do we teach others to mentor gotcha. as a part of this process? That mentoring is the main way of training, not training events or, or, or classes. We can use those, but it, most things are done, most leaders are, are mentored. And so that was kind of what was going on. Uh, tw- you know, and so as the story goes on, we began to see breakthrough in the next year. Over the next year, into 2011, uh, by the, by the, by the middle part of 2011, there were nearly 170 groups and a number of them had become what we would call minimal churches, probably mm-hmm. about 61 of them, uh, at that point by our definition, mm-hmm. uh, which was, a which was just basically a house church with believers. Uh, so, uh, at that point we had begun to see breakthrough and really, there's been all kinds of things happen since then, ups and downs and ins and outs, and not everything's worked, and we've retooled a lot of things. But for the most part, it's just that's when multiplication began. Uh, again, really the multiplication began slowly, but eventually it became more exponential. 
Yeah, it's it, really interesting that you say that, David, because even here in Contagious Disciple Making, we made the switch into a, from a more training to a more at what we call, you said mentoring, what we call coaching, same, different mm-hmm. words, same concept mm-hmm. of leaders. And that has multiplied our fruit as well. You're absolutely right. Discipleship still works. That yes. continual development and pouring into people really is what's needed in order to be able to take these principles. Because like, even as you had discovered, you know, you went to a training with David Watson, but you weren't able to get everything that you needed during those two days. You had to be right. brought along a journey just like everyone else. And mm. so if we are aware of that, then we can now be able to see what it really takes to be able to raise up leaders, to be mm. able to multiply. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. And, uh, and it, the, the, I think we're the, we're the talking about faith and commitment. The key is that this is a, if somebody is listening, for instance, to this podcast and they're, and they're new to this, you know, they're just hearing about DMM or they've been working at it for a year or two and they haven't seen a lot of results yet, maybe a little bit, but, but they've had encouragement and discouragement. Here's the thing. It was important for us to believe that this is a biblical in fact, I would go on to say the biblical model. This is the way Jesus did ministry. This is really the way the early church did ministry. And that, that we can believe in this. It's, it's not the quick fix. If somebody is saying, man, I want to see, because I think that's one of the, the, the things that, that causes some people problem in that our testimonies sometimes are large. You know, I said, we're seeing 40 people saved a day right now. Right. baptisms a day, you know, we've baptized 43,000 people. Well, you hear those kind of things and you're going, wow, okay, let's, you know, I want to, the truth about it is that that was years. And let me put it this way, mm-hmm. yeah, from, right. time, from the time that I, uh, from the time that I uh, prayed that prayer and, and, and God said to me, go take the perspectives class. And I met Jerry Trousdale and began to hear about this. From that moment to the time we had 900 groups was nine years. Yep. Now, that is not a microwave well, movement. <laughs> that was, but here's what I want you to know that was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, we got 900 groups. It took me nine years from the time I heard about this to the time we saw at least 900 groups birthed. In the last three months, we had 943 groups start. Woo-hoo. So it took me nine years, the first nine years, the results I had in the first nine years, I had in the last three months. Well, that's the two principles of DMM, which is go slow to go fast, right? You have to do the nine years is the thing. Mm -hmm. And to make it through the nine years, you've got to know this. It can't be just about the numbers. You've got to know I'm doing this in obedience to God. I'm doing this. I believe that this is is God's way. I believe this is uh, what his word demonstrates. And we're going we're gonna to walk this out. I think that's the only thing that carried us through those initial things. You know, David, you, I, I, you know, David I totally agree with you there. You know, that's why when we begin coaching anybody with CDM, we give them, the, we give them a 10-year timeline. Mm-hmm. We say, you know, this is what you're probably going to see over the next 10 years. First few years, you're going to fail forward. 
you'll mm. start to see a little bit of progress in the next few years, a little bit more redefined as it goes on. And then it opens up after that, but it's going to probably take you about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we do that as a means of making sure that people who are starting with us are counting the cost. Mm -hmm. They're realize this is not a microwave movement. It's a miraculous movement, not a microwave movement. There's a difference. That's right. exactly. And so you have to put in, you have to go deep in order to go far. Exactly. And so, you know, I, and that's what your team was willing to do. You were willing to be, as you said, obedient. Mm -hmm. until it happened absolutely and that that was the only key i uh, sometimes uh, you know when we give this testimony I, randy and i worked together somewhere uh, it's been a couple of years but there were thousands of groups at this point and, and uh, randy and i were and, and if you know what i look like and what randy look you know we're a couple of you know middle-aged plus a little bit overweight guys with our hair thinning, you know, we, we do not look like dynamic leaders when we're together. I mean, it's, and we were sitting with this person and, and we're telling, we're telling the story. And this person looks at us like, are, are you telling me that you guys are, are part of this? Uh, and, and, you know, and so I'm like, yeah, this is, this is something that ordinary people do. Yes. This is not, the superstar thing. This is not the, the, you know, this is not that at all. This is, this is ordinary people, but it is, it is through, through obedience and a great deal of persistence. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and see, I don't even know. I don't, I, I believe in this. I believe that the DMM principles are universal and biblical. And I truly believe that really, that ultimately they will see results anywhere. I believe that. That's what I actually believe. But not all the results are equal. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that every place is going to see a movement to the same level that some other places. Because every place, every culture, every, every group is going to be different. There's different dynamics. What I am confident of is this. Because the thing that got me into this in the first place was I was I, I, Matthew twenty four fourteen has been the driving force of my life for a long time. What's it going to take to see the Great Commission finished? Mm -hmm. And if we look around and 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 see everything else that's going on in the world, there's there's nothing else that I've ever been exposed to, nothing else I've ever been exposed to, that uh, that has the potential to multiply and replicate and actually reach every people group in our lifetime. But this really does. Uh, one of the recent, th we're involved in the 2414 network, uh, uh, which is trying to engage every people group and place with the gospel and some kind of strategy similar to this within the next six years. And uh, engagement, we're not talking about finishing the Great Commission, it's just engagement. But, but we're, 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 we're part of that. And, uh, and, and that's, that has been my, uh, that has been my passion from the beginning. That's why I wasn't satisfied with 212 churches being planted. I think anytime anybody is satisfied with a big ministry or mm. with a certain number, I'm after a certain number. Once I get a certain number, then I'm going to be satisfied. Mm. The numbers we need to be looking at are the other numbers, the numbers of the unreached. How many people don't know Jesus Christ? Not how big is my ministry or how many people or how many am I influencing? The question is what, what is, what is left and, and only a multiplying movement has the potential to get that done in our, in our lifetime. Mm 
what you just described right there, David, is the I, 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 what we tell people all the time when it comes to metrics and how we measure success. We flip it on its head. As you said, a lot of the different missionaries and ministries and organizations out there, they go, they're satisfied with a certain number because they've grown a decent ministry. But God did not tell us to build good organizations right. or to have decent results in order to tell our donors. He right. says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, you know, preach the gospel to every creature. That should be our metric. And that's what you just described. Our goal is to see this happen. And yes, we'll get a good, you know, we'll get a good amount of things along the way. But if we put the primary things first, right. that is what we're, that it's, that is what is going to thrust us to even more success in the kingdom. You know, two things that I heard, um, that I heard you also say too, is not only was it the conviction that I'm hearing you, the conviction that heart, that, that this is what God had called you to do. It's what it was going to take to, to fulfill what he had asked you to do. Um, and that caused you to be willing to put aside things that were keeping you from doing what he asked you to do. So conviction did a lot, but what kept you through those rough times was also community. You were part of a growing group of people. Mm -hmm that you could sit at the table with people who are very, very successful and be, be accepted as a brother in Christ someone. I mean, and, and I would say that that's the mark of every single one of these men and women that I've known who've been in movement is that they're incredibly humble. It's not about them. They're not interested in, in, uh, in having their, the entourage and having their bags carried and all oh, of that. These are, these are people that when you go to the communities, it's family reunions. They sit down with you at the table they share everything they have and they give it freely and they don't discriminate based on uh, perceived position as to who they give attention to. So you had conviction and you had community. And the third one that you had was that coaching piece or what you referred to as mentoring that when you hit the, when you hit the rock wall, you had numbers of people that you could pick up and call and say, this is what we're wrestling with. And those mm -hmm. people had a scope of experience, maybe not personally themselves, but they had other people that they drew upon for the answers that they could bring in and help you find the answer to that question or direct you back to the community for the answers that you needed, which then you took into your mission field, you adapted as necessary, still with the focus on movement. And so those mm -hmm. seem to be what I'm hearing you talk about as the ways you went through that conviction drove you, you believed it was God, the community stained, sustained you and the coaching equipped you to do what God had asked you to do. Absolutely. That is, that is perfectly expressed. And I remember right before we began to have our main breakthrough in Honduras, when, when people really started coming to Christ and churches started being formed initially in 2011, I was in Honduras with Randy and we had gotten an invitation to go somewhere and, and train some people. And we were saying, and Randy was saying to me, I, I know he was discouraged. He said, you know, we haven't had the breakthrough yet. You know, how can we keep training people? You know, we haven't had the, we haven't had the breakthrough ourselves. And I said, because it's, we're part of something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. I said, we're part of the movements that are in Africa. We're part of what's happening in India. We're, mm -hmm. we're just here. We're the outpost here of, mm -hmm. of this movement. And I said, that's why the, our, our results aren't here yet. Our results are in Africa, but they're going to be here. And that, awesome. that was that community that kept us going. You're, you're spot on with all of that. 
You know, David, something that you said also I absolutely loved is that you said this is something that the everyday person, that the everyday ordinary person can do. And I love that. And that's something that we really believe in in CDM is the fact we want to empower the average American or otherwise <laughs> Christian to to team up with an extraordinary God. And from my experience, from what I say, that the people that really like you, that make it, it's a heart of obedience. Mm -hmm. It's the heart of dedication to the Lord and the not quit, do not quit kind of thing. And I just see that in you, David, just mm -hmm. that determination to obey the Lord. And, and in the end, that's what God said about the David in the Bible, that that was the heart of obedience that he loved. And so, you know, David, we just absolutely love hearing your story. We love hearing your, you know, how God has used you and your team to be able to bring thousands of people to himself and Lord willing, thousands and thousands more in the future. And we're just excited because we know that, hey, <laughs> we put in the nine years we, and we're seeing if that's that much growth in five, imagine what's going to happen in the next five. Yes. And so we're going to be praying for you before we, we have to close this podcast today. Is there something that you would say to first world Christianity? So like Canada and America and things like that for the average, you know, uh, Christian to say like, how can I live this out in my life, you know, or some lesson to give to them? So I think the first lesson that impacted me, uh, and this goes all the way back to that first training in Dallas with David and Paul uh, in 2006, when Randy and I were first trained. All week long, I was listening to all this, and I had two hats on. I was a pastor at that time, and and uh, and but we were thinking both both ways. And uh, a, the obedience-based discipleship approach to Scripture, making the word of God, the radical voice of Jesus Christ in my life was the thing that impacted me personally the most that week. And uh, you got to understand, I'd been a pastor at that time for 23 years, something like that, 22 or 23 years. I had, a, you know, I had a bachelor's degree, a seminary degree. I've been saved since I was six years old. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I, I believe the Bible. I preach the Bible. I didn't change my theology, but I'll be honest, from, and especially from my tradition, I would read the Bible for information, and then I would, you know, kind of, you know, Lord, now what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. but, what, but, but when I listened to this approach to Scripture, you open the Word of God, and that's God speaking to you today. He just wants you to hear it, understand it, and absolutely obey it today. Mm -hmm. That revolutionized my life. I came home to my church. I started preaching that in my last couple of years as a pastor. Hear, understand, and obey the word of God. There were people in our church whose lives were transformed uh, mm -hmm. to some degree, uh, and, and some people's lives are redirected uh, because of this. And it, and it went back to radical obedience to the scripture. Uh, it's, it's not my job to, to just read this for information and doctrine. It's, it's my job to, to hear his voice through this word. And yes, certainly I still believe he speaks to me by the Holy spirit. I believe in the operations of the Holy spirit, but the word of God has taken on a whole new level in my life. And that's where I, when I talk to other pastors or people like that, 
today. I, I try to move them in that direction, I think, because I want to, you know, if, if you can radically obey God's word, if you can come into a new realm there, if you can, if you can get to the great commission that way, mm-hmm. you're, if that, if that can happen on the inside of you and begin to, to transform your life, that's, you've got to get there before you even try to do this because that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Uh, David, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, You're an inspiration and we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for people like you that give their all in order to see people come to know Jesus and inspires us to be able to do the same. And so we hope that you continue to be friends with us and we'll be able to chat in the future and uh, definitely bump into with, with each other in ministry more often. So, Absolutely. Thank you for letting me be on the, this podcast today. And, and uh, we, we uh, appreciate you guys a whole lot. Yeah. So this has been the CDM podcast with Paul Watson, Rebecca Ewing, and our guest, David Parrish. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about David Parrish's ministry, you can look up uh, World Missions and Evangelism or WME online. Um, they're on Facebook too, and uh, be able to get more information about what they're doing. I know that if you've been listening to this and you feel led by God to support their work, they are a nonprofit organization in the United States, and we would encourage you that the money that you would invest in World Missions and Evangelism is uh, is is well invested. It will bear fruit uh, in terms of people coming to know Jesus. It's not a fly-by-night thing. It is a sure thing because they've been walking with the Lord for some time and they have the track record to show it. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast and you feel encouraged, we hope that it's done a couple things, that it's encouraged you to continue pursuing what God has called you to do to fulfill the great commission, live out the great commandment in your life. And we also hope that you have heard more than anything the incredible power of the God that we serve. That not there is not a people group, there's not an individual, there's not a village, there is not a child on the planet that he does not know by name. And he desires them all to have a chance to hear him and to hear his word. And he is calling you to be a part of this incredible adventure of living out the great commission and great commandments so that we on this side of heaven can see his kingdom come. We can see his will be done. We can see this world transformed so that when he comes in glory, we will be bowing our knee in celebration, crying out, thank God he has come instead of bowing our knee in fear that our options are now over. And we would encourage you to walk in that and to extend that grace and that mercy to others. This has been the CDM Podcast, and we are grateful that you are part of this. Go and make disciples. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast and supporting us on Patreon. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple-makers.